So now um, give a little reflection myself also and then there's an opportunity for questions and answers after that. <coughs> so I'd, I'd just like to continue where Arjuna Bodhi left off, you know, saying about, you know, the different ways how we can, uh, you know, experience ourselves, either through the body, you know, which gives us the feeling, I know where I am, I am here, this body, or the feelings we experience which say, you know, we can say, I know how I feel. I am like this, I am like that. Feeling, you know, pleasure or feeling pain. So that's another way how you can experience yourself or how I can experience myself. Or another way again would be uh, what I experience myself to be. About, you know, the perception I have about myself, which is a, you know, which comes from which is a result of past conditioning. You know, if I think of myself as being this or being that. And again, another way how I can experience myself is um, why I am. You know, what motivates me, what's my intention. And again, another way would be whereby I experience myself. For example, you know, through experience myself as, you know, shrinking away from a loud sound or shrinking away from a hot plate. <laughs> so there are so many different ways and they are kind of all conventionally true, but they all are arising and ceasing. They just last for a certain amount of time and then they are gone. So where are you? Well, where I am in all of that, because if I really truly exist, then it wouldn't be like that. So, you know, the next step after we have seen that in inside meditation by sitting, you know, quietly and observing this play of the five khandhas, which Ajahnana Bodhi was speaking about before, the play of the body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness. All of this together is like a play which gives us this um, experience of me and man. And this is, according to the Buddha's teaching, this is the, you know, this is the core reason for suffering to arise. Because this is an ever-changing play and we hold, we try to hold on to it, either by wanting more of a good feeling or pushing away an unpleasant feeling, which is just another way of holding on. So we don't, we don't have this capacity yet developed to let this process of arising and ceasing just be what it is. But we want, we want to pick and choose, you know, we want more of this, less of that, and then over lifetimes, you know, we develop certain habits of relating to experience, which if we really pay attention to, they turn out to be, you know, giving us a certain amount of suffering. And I think this is why you're all here, because you would like to have less of suffering. And according to the Buddha's teaching, that can be cultivated through really deeply understanding this process and through this understanding and penetrating into it, uh, it starts to open up and we let go. But this is not a forceful letting go in terms of not wanting this to be what it is. But it's through deeply understanding, it just you know, opens up and falls away. Because once we see you know, that we are doing this, even if you know, much of it is still unconscious, but through the meditation practice, we start to penetrate into this um, process. And then through this penetration and through experiential insight, you know, certain habits start to the fall, the fall away through insight, not through forcing. And, and for that, you know, we have to align ourselves with what we have got right now. And we have to start where we are, 
we can't start, you know, at any other point. Even there might be people we admire very much. Uh, we would like to be like them. We'd like to be further along. That is, you know, that is maybe a good way to gain inspiration and, you know, gain faith that it is possible, you know, to live a life of, of uh, increasing freedom and, you know, wisdom and compassion. But still, we have to start where we are right now. And... The meditation practice is a very, you know, good tool to train ourselves to be where we are right now and go into the depths of what's happening right now because we don't need, you know, anything else but what we have already got because this is where we are right now and this is where we have to look. And, you know, the meditation trains us, you know, increasingly to be able to step back from experience, but not in a way of, uh, you know, willfully detaching from experience, but to get a perspective on experience. And, you know, it, as uh, Arjunana Bodhi was guiding us in the meditation this morning, you know, it all starts with, with sitting down and, you know, taking a posture which is conducive to uh, which is stable and is conducive for the mind and the body to slowly but surely settle. Because if we have a good posture, you know, that's a good way to introduce to the body and to the mind the idea of just, you know, fully being where it is and, and settling. And then we take an object, you know, for the mind to hold on and to return back to again and again. And in the case as we did this morning, the, the belly rising and falling with the breath coming in and going out. And whenever you know, we notice that the mind wanders off into past and future, as soon as we notice it, which sometimes you know, might be immediately and sometimes might be 10 minutes down the line, doesn't really matter, but what matters is as soon as we notice it, then we come back again. And which means, you know, we are letting go of this train of thoughts. We're letting go of this, you know, very um, habitual way of uh, leaving the present moment and thinking about something. You know, and everybody has a certain amount of preferred themes they are thinking about depending on your past conditioning and depending on your character. And there's so many different, you know, input which we have had over the years we have lived. So you just get to know that. And, and then through getting to know it and through the repetition of it, a certain amount of uh, you know, detachments starts to come by itself because we start to see, you know, it's always the same things we are thinking about. And then it starts to dawn on us, uh, you know, maybe that is not really necessary we don't have to constantly, you know, chew over um, the same scenarios because, you know, it, it just doesn't lead anywhere. And then we start to slowly but surely, you know, get a perspective on this uh, process which we call mind. And, you know, before we have seen that, we were completely identified and immersed into the thinking process which means, you know, that uh, the experience had us. We, we didn't even know, for example, we were angry. We didn't know we were greedy. We weren't aware of what we were doing. But then through increasing practice, we start to get a perspective on experience and we start to have ex our experience. We start to notice, oh, wow, you know, anger is arising. I feel kind of in my body a certain contraction, temperature rising, clenching of the hands or you know different you, you start to get to know yourself and then you know it, it becomes more and more possible that you know what you're experiencing and this is then when the choice comes in because then you can choose do I act this out or don't I and this is really what we try to cultivate in the meditation that element of choice you know to have to be able to to regulate how we react, what we, you know, and act in the world. And through that, 
of course, you know, the response from the world will also change. And, you know, we don't do the meditation just in order to be able to sit as many hours as possible <laughs> on the cushion, but we do it in order to live a better life and live a happier life. And, you know, through this process of meditation, we, we uh, come, you know, to the conclusion that actually, you know, everything what we are experiencing, everything which is, you know, arising as an object in our mind, a feeling, a thought, a touch, a taste, any of those different experiences we can have, you know, through our sense organs, and the mind, you know, the thinking mind is also counted as a sense organ in the Buddhist teaching, speaking about the six senses. You know, the, the mouth or the tongue tastes, the mind thinks, the ear hears, the eyes see, the body receives touch. Have I forgotten one? The nose, <laughs> smell. So, you know, we, we start to get a perspective on that. And we start to, uh, you know, realize that there is these different objects arising in the mind and there is this faculty which knows, which knows that there is, for example, a strong odor arising and I feel I don't want this. I feel ill will against it. I don't, I want, I, I don't want it. Or, for example, my eye sees a pleasant sad and I want more of this or I don't want this to stop. So we start to get a perspective on experience and we start to see there's the knowing and there's an experience arising and ceasing in the knowing. So those experiences, they're constantly changing, but that which knows the experiences is, is not changing. It is just knowing whatever is it's arising, and then it sustains itself for some time, and then it's gone, and then the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And the knowing is always there. Because if it wouldn't, you wouldn't be able actually to hear me speaking. You wouldn't be here, basically. So that's what we call awareness and mindfulness. You know, this is the, what we are really wanting to strengthen our ability to be able to be more aware and to be more mindful of what is arising, not completely, you know, identified with the objects which are arising. Because we tend to contract around objects and hold on to it because this is how we have been uh, trained by not, you know, having any instructions about the fact that there is the objects and that which knows. And once we are starting, start to get an inkling of this, the practice starts to uh, increase our ability to stay conscious with experience. And through this staying conscious with experience, insight is the result of that. Because we suddenly can see you know, connections. We suddenly can see how causes and conditions are working together. And suddenly, you know, a complete new world starts to open up to us. And, you know, that can be very joyful and it can be also quite uh, scary because we, we can see suddenly there's much more than what meets the eye, you know. What, what we always, or what I thought myself to be a separate entity, you know, walking around in the universe we slowly but surely you know, start to realize, no, this is an ever-changing process, completely interconnected with everything else. And that means, you know, then suddenly this little life of mine, trying, you know, to get what I want and trying to push away what I don't want, it, 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 it all changes completely, going into the depths of it. And this is, you know, what meditation can... Uh, provide us if we just keep on going it has its own intelligence awareness it's a process which is you know like uh, it's a gradual awakening 
which is like a flower, you know, blossoming. If you give it the right uh, conditions, you know, a bit of water and sunshine, fertilizer, and, you know, a certain amount of attention and protection, then it will blossom. And the same is, is uh, with our own practice, you know. And then we start to realize that, you know, which we thought we are, this body and this mind, we, we start to realize that this is not who we really are, but this is a, a convention which is very useful in order to, you know, live a life in, 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 in the world, in the midst of society with other people, <coughs> but that we are not, we are not what, we, what we appear to be. There's much more than just that. And, you know, and then we start to link into what's called ultimate reality in the Buddhist teaching. Conventional reality, you know, what we, what we can see with the eye of the flesh, basically. And then ultimate reality, which we can connect with, with the eye of wisdom or the eye of the, or the heart. And meditation can guide us towards that. And, you know, linking into this uh, vast awareness with, within everything is arising and ceasing with that, within that, is what, you know, we can cultivate in, in the meditation by first, you know, looking at what we what appears to be me or what appears to be you and then through the looking it starts to open up and then we start to link into that which knows what is arising and ceasing. And we can do that any moment by just, you know, fully being in the present moment and being where we are and not escaping into the thinking meant and just being fully with the experience as it is right now not thinking about it but fully receiving it just now So whenever we notice, you know, that the mind contracts again around the thought, around the feeling, as soon as you notice it, just come back to just being fully here and, and listening what is happening right now. There might be sounds arising or maybe not. This is just awareness. And just, you know, noticing whenever the mind, because our minds are not used to be in this open space, our minds constantly want to hold on to something because it's what the mind is used to. And just getting to know this process. And through, you know, and just again and again, as soon as we notice the mind, you know, goes off into thinking about this or thinking about that, just coming back. It's, it's a very, very simple practice. But through this coming back again and again, we wear out this habit of, you know, of constantly trying to fill every gap with something. Instead of, of being directly with experience. And then, you know, if we are in this direct way with our experience, it starts to, to open up and we start to, you know, be able to 
sense. The body is not just a block of something. It, it's, a, it's a living process which is constantly changing. Just like the mind. Constantly changing. But that which knows all of this just is what it is. And whatever appears within that awareness, you know, doesn't stain it. It doesn't change it in any way. It's just like a cloud moving through the endless sky. When it's gone, it's gone. And then the next one comes and the next one. There is no need, you know, to push some of those clouds away and pin other ones down because they can't be pinned down and they can't be pushed out of the sky because the sky is just endless. And this is like, it's a gradual process, you know, through repetition and coming back to it again and again. We just start to naturally awaken. It's like the the sun dawning in the morning, rising in the morning. It's just through repetition we get the space, you know, just starts to open up. And sometimes it can be faster and for some it is slower. But that what is happening, this is is a law of nature. Because if we pay attention to experience, it starts to reveal itself. This is what it wants. And we just have to, you know, link into it. You know, not distract ourselves through, you know, the 100,000 things we can do in order to, you know, manipulate experience, wanting something better than what we have got. So if you have some questions, we we could try to answer some of them, if we know the answers. Um, Given how fast life is when you're in the midst of it, I mean, it's one thing to sit on the cushion and get quiet enough and removed enough to, to see, you know, to, to be present, to be aware. But life just keeps coming at you. <laughs> so, how, I mean, I know it's all practice, but uh, how, how do you find that little space when you're in the midst so much? Well, I'd say, you know, the time that you spend on the cushion helps you to find that little space in the midst of it all. So to try and, to try and just find it in the midst of everything when you don't actually develop that strength of awareness in, in a more contained environment is very difficult, unless you have some kind of sudden awakening, which some people have. But otherwise, you know, you need to put in the, the, the effort and the attention in, in your formal practice. And then that... Through that, then you start to see the way, partly you start to see the patterns of the way your mind works, but like Ashantanshu was saying, you, you start to recognize the, the habits of your own mind and, and responses. So that's a, a really good start. And then <clears throat> when you're in the middle of something, you know, quite well, in my experience, quite often, you know, there'd be, there'd be, you know, I would be unaware of what was coming up and my response, and then I would act on it or speak on it and then there would be the repercussions of that and I would feel the pain of that and then I would reflect on it and I'd think oh you know I really don't want to have to go through all of this you know and and then feeling the suffering that arose through my unawareness was an incentive to to pay closer attention and then and then you know I was kind of hoping that once I, I saw that then I could just decide next time okay then I'll just catch it at the beginning and I don't have to do all that but the reality is you have to go through that again and again and again until you start to see enough what you're doing clearly enough. And sometimes, you know, and then often that this, the turning point is when you, can, when you can 
go to somebody who you've upset because you've spoken in that way because you weren't very conscious and you've acknowledged, you've seen it, oh, I did that again. Then you can go to that person and say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, and, and uh, acknowledge it. And then that's a really good turning point to start bringing it back. And, then, and it's just a, a case of, of being aware and catching it as soon as you can and really being honest when you do catch it, not like, oh, well, never mind, you know, but really being honest with that. And then that, and gradually, gradually you find that you're catching it earlier and earlier and earlier until you can just not create that whole complication. And, you know, when you're in a very busy situation, you know, sometimes I think it's good to just take a bathroom break you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could say something about that as well because I was just a few days ago actually. We got the IMS newsletter, and there's the the, the article on the front was um, an article of uh, of a talk of Joseph Goldstein speaking about, you know, practice in busy life. And he was just giving, um, he says, you know, that everybody should uh, every day just take three times, three minutes to contemplate three different things. And I remember the first one was to just for three minutes just sit and listen, you know, and listen into the space, just what I was saying before, you know, and and connect with the knowing that which knows you know what is arising and ceasing and that there is nobody behind that this is just the knowing there's no knower but there's knowing that was the first um, three minutes then the second three minutes was to reflect on death old age sickness and death you know not only within yourself but your children your parents your spouse your good friends that it, everybody will get old, everybody will die, everybody will get sick. Not in a morbid way, reflecting on it, but this is just the way it is. That was the... And the third one... Um, I don't know now. I didn't read it. The third one... <laughs> there was a third one. <laughs> that you're completely selfish. Hmm? That you're completely selfish. No. No? No. I forgot the third one. But it was these, you know, these three little reflections... And of course, you know, if you if you can also do some formal practice on top of that, that will be much better. But if you can just do that, you know, do every day reflect on on old age, sickness, and death, that will give you a, a sense of urgency. And then, you know, and reflecting on 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 the fact, you know, that there is nobody there really, you know. Ultimately, even, you know, we all do have conventional selves because, you know, I can see you, you can see me, but you are, yeah, but it's not what it appears to be, you know, to, to, to really go into that, that what we experience is not what it appears to be. And the sense of urgency, which comes from reflecting on old age, Ill, sickness and death, you know, if we can just do those two reflections, like the third one I forgot, you know, if you do that every day, you know, if that will sink in and then you'll find the space for the practice, you know, because we, we just can't find it. And the same for us sometimes, you know, we are very busy some days, you know, where we have barely uh, much time to sit as well. But then, you know, if you really reflect with the situation, then I, then I can find the space because I know it's a real important thing. And then priorities in our lives start to change, you know. And certain things we just have to trade them in, you know. We have to just, uh, you know, simplify our lives. But we only do that really if, if we have a sense of urgency. And if we don't reflect, then we won't have a sense of urgency. So it's all interconnected, you know. It's, it's a gradual process and... And, you know, there's no need, you know, to condemn ourselves for, you know, however the situation is which we are in, but to just pay deeper and more attention and then, you know, the, it, will, it will follow. You just have to, if, if you really feel, you know, that you don't do, do enough practice because of this and that, just pay attention to that 
just you know what you just said to to us before just really take that really into the depths and something will shift in your life well actually i feel i do enough practice <clears throat> but i never feel it's uh, concentrated enough or folk you know it's condemning it's yeah. always a critique of the practice yeah so yeah but you know that's that's really uh, i mean you know this is just uh, one of the hindrances really you know <clears throat> So you're doing actually your practice because you're aware of it. Now you have to just actually go a step further and see because this, you know, that this condemning of your practice, that it can become part of your practice, you know, seeing that. And then once you, you see through that, then the next thing will come up for sure, you know. But now you deal with this one, you know. Yeah. Because that's, that's probably, you know, the hindrance which we call restlessness and worry. And ill will mm-hmm. maybe also, you know. Yeah. Because we all have that, you know, we all think, I mean, I definitely, you know, I always think I'm not good enough. Whatever I do is not good enough, you know. This is just, um, but having having looked at that, you know, over 20 years by now, you know, then I can see there's a certain repetition in that, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's not true. And also having spoken with other people about it, you know. Yeah. Yes. Hello. Um, I'm finding it um, quite difficult. Uh, This is not new, but I'm quite aware of it now. Um, How difficult it is to witness... Uh, uh, another person's suffering um, and I see all my habits and inclinations to try to fix it and get in the middle of it and all of that so I'd appreciate any insight you have about that yeah it, it is hard I mean, it, just to acknowledge you know it is hard when you see people suffering whether it's people you know and love or people you don't know it, it is painful if we if we allow ourselves to open to it, it, it is painful, and you know it's it's a balance because we you know we can do what we can to help. It's good to to be responsive and not just to sort of say, well, that's you know their suffering and that's their karma. We can do what we can, but you know, if we if we become too attached to the to to being the helper, then in a way we lose we lose responsiveness we're not really in relationship with what's actually happening so I know for myself some of the the most healing experiences have been when I've been just very fully met by someone someone can just be with me in in my suffering whether that's physical or or emotional and 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 there's just a sense of oh you know I'm not I don't have to explain it doesn't have to be fixed. It doesn't. Nothing. It's just somebody's fully with me, and even for it might be just for a few moments, and then that brings a sense of, of ease actually with what's with what's going on. So it's important to acknowledge that this is part of life. Like we've been saying, aging, sickness, death, loss, you know, separation from what we love, being with what we don't love. You know, these are all part of how it is. And when we're kind of fighting with that or trying to make a utopia where, where none of that is happening, then, then we suffer a lot. So it's kind of taking in just the fact of, yes, you know, there is physical pain, there is, there is a, lot of, there are a lot of terrible things going on on this planet Earth, but many, many of them being done by human beings. It always has been, isn't it? I guess so. Well, long certainly, time. certainly within history, yes. So we can do what we can, but in, I think to be to be living in a in a way of trying to fix and trying to repair, it's uh, for oneself. It's it will just lead to more and more sorrow, and for others, I think it also doesn't really meet the need. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a Taoist. Kind of saying that says, do just do your job, you know, do your best, and then let go. And I find that very, very helpful. It's not that you don't bother, you don't let go too soon, but you know, once you've done what you can, then then you let go. You don't keep on trying to make it perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
There's a lady just behind here. Thank you for being here today. And um, how wonderful that thoughts manifest. They take form until a negative thought appears. <laughs> and I'm not talking inner critic. I'm talking of more of a catastrophic nature. And the inclination is to push it away. But it just gets stronger. So mm-hmm. I was wondering if you have any suggestions for that. I mean, you know, like I said before, we said before, it's really about letting it just be what it is, you know, not making more of it, but also not pushing it away. So letting it uh, arise and cease and maybe connecting with what is underneath, you know, what emo- there must be an emotion present, you know. There must be something present underneath and connecting with that in the body. Maybe there's an anxiety in the body or anger or something, you know, which, which uh, is feeding these thoughts and, and connecting with that. Does that make sense to you? I've heard that and I've tried that. <laughs> Still mm-hmm. working on it. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, that's... Uh, and sometimes, you know, if it's very difficult, we might... If there's a lot of, you know, very disturbing thinking coming up and and we find it difficult maybe to connect with the emotion which is underneath, which is feeding this thinking, then we might just need some help, you know, therapeutic help, to have somebody who helps us to connect with ourselves, you know, because it can sometimes be very scary. Because sometimes, you know, in for certain areas, meditation alone <clears throat> might not be enough because you might not be able, really, to, uh, to connect. It's a, it can be, a, you know, what we call an upaya, a skillful means, which can support the meditation. Is there anything else you'd like to ask about it? No, thank you. Okay. Thank you. This morning you spoke about the balance between concentration and a broad collection to strengthen the mind. I was wondering if you could talk about those practices specifically and the balance of those two in daily life. The, the, you mean the, whether to have a focused concentration or a collected? Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I think different uh, people tend to find the different ones more useful. So one doesn't have to necessarily use both. One can, one can uh, use what's most useful to you. Um, so, in, so let's start with the actual in the in the meditation practice because you're asking in daily life. But let's just start in the actual sitting practice. You know what we often find when we sit is that the mind is wandering here and there, doing this and that, and we have to really kind of pull it back and bring it in, rein it in, and and put the attention onto the object of meditation, and 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 keep bringing it back there or keeping it there, and when it goes off, bringing it back, bringing it back. So as we do that. You know, we, we, we find that the mind focuses, so it's, it's focusing and collecting. And it can be the same with a job, you know, if you're doing a job and, and your mind's kind of scattered, oh, no, you do that for a while, oh, I'll just do this, and, oh, oh, by the way, didn't I write it? And, you know, you'd sort of, and then you find that by the end of the day you haven't really got anywhere. So if you're doing a job, then you're focused on what you're doing and you're with it fully, then you can just, you can really get that done, and then that's done, and you've probably done a very good job. And um, so that there can be a very, very one-pointed uh, concentration. And I think for quite a n- number of years, people just associated concentration practice with this very kind of narrow-pointed concentration practice. But uh, in the, my experience, that there, there is a, a, a small point that one can focus on and, and develop very great strength of mind. Or one can use like a broad point. So, you know, it can, it can be big the point, but still collected, not wandering. So, so it's a case of um, there needs to be a certain collectedness of mind already. So I, I find that to use the, the narrow focus, if, if my mind's scattered, 
to, to use that for a while, that develops strength of mind and, and a, certain, a certain power of mindfulness. And then rather than just staying with that, I find it more useful personally to broaden that out so that, the, so that my mind is taking in maybe quite a bit of information. But it's not grabbing hold of individual things in, within that. It's with that whole experience. And it maybe can choose to focus on one thing like the feeling that's arising in, in the belly or, or with, with the breath. You know, it, can, it, can, it can choose to stay with one thing or, or with sound. But it's not, that's not excluding everything else. Everything is, everything is going on. So I can, I can experience it now, actually, while I'm speaking with you. I can, I can experience the room, you know, a sense of the people, the lights, the space, the sound. And I'm not... But I, my mind doesn't feel scattered. And I'm not... You know, I'm focusing on you, so that's kind of helpful. So I can talk to you, I can just see, talk to you across the room. So I'm focusing on you, but all of it, it's not excluding everything else here. So that's more like a, a broad concentration practice. And that's not the same as, as sitting here and then talking to you and then like, oh, I wonder what he was going to say. And, Wasn't it nice? That, those trees are there. Oh, what was it I was going to do when I get back? You know, that's a totally, that is not concentration practice. So, you know, so that's like an analogy of the mind. We can sit and we can, people I think sometimes think you can have a, a um, like an open awareness, but you actually just, your mind's wandering and, and like a monkey, you know, getting this and that and this and that. That is not uh, helpful, really. That's what we were doing before we started practicing. <laughs> so it's about having a collectedness, uh, a clarity, knowing what's going on and, and not being pulled around here and there. And I find that to be uh, just my, my mind more naturally goes into that place than it does into the, into the very focus. And others have the opposite, that they, they don't find that they, can, they gain much insight through the more broad awareness. So I think it's up to the individual to, to get to know what is more useful. But uh, I think it's important to know that when, when you see the word concentration, it doesn't necessarily mean a narrow focus. It can also mean a, a broad focus. And uh, if I may add to it, you know, also, I think generally, you know, when you, for example, if you just come off the street, come into the room here, then maybe in the beginning, you know, when you sit down, you would just maybe focus, you know, exclude everything else and just focus maybe on the body breathing until you have fully arrived in a room, the body and the mind have slowed down, calmed down to a certain extent, and then open up. So even you know, in one sitting, you can, you can do that. And then you sit in, in, in open awareness. And, and then you know, maybe something comes up which really totally grabs your attention, a strong pain in the knee or something. And then you know, if you're not able to keep open awareness, and then you just focus on that. That's okay. Too. You, you, you can alternate between. But also for myself, it works much better, the open awareness, rather than the strong focus. Because I find it much more conducive in daily life also, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For newer practitioners, would you recommend in the beginning more of a narrow focus? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. thank yeah. you. Thank you for being here today. It's very nice. Um, uh, my question has to do with being mindful of thoughts, because yeah. um, you know I can know often when I've wandered off from being mindful of the body in the thoughts, but then to get it's much more difficult to get some perspective on the thoughts than because they tend to take on a reality of their own. And then you wake up for a second and say, oh, I've been caught in these thoughts for however long I've been thought in the, yeah. caught in these thoughts. So is there, you know, maybe it's our culture because we live in thought so much, but, it, you know, is there tricks of the trade, so to speak, <laughs> to, or do you just have to keep... Uh, uh, Working at it, I guess. I don't know. I think, you know, the only, I mean, this is not a trick, really. It's to be really honest with yourself, you know. 
to be really honest with yourself and you know, as soon as you notice you have been wandering, you know, maybe for half an hour even, you know, then that when you come back, that you, you just stay with the object, either it's a, it's a narrow focus or open awareness, just be with it. And, and I think there's no tricks, you know. I mean, there is different, you know, there's different, different methods. Yes, you can count your breath, you know, or you can do a mantra or you can... There's different ways, you know, of how you are trying, you know, to have a real heavy anchor which keeps you in the present moment. And, you know, different anchors for for different boats, so to say, you know. So you have to find out, you have two, three different ones, you know. For example, I have been starting with mindfulness, with breathing, you know, many years ago. That has always worked very well for me. And... Uh, you know, don't give up too quickly because it's totally normal. The, 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 this is just what the thinking mind does. So there's nothing going wrong. You know, you basically, you know, finding out over time that you often, you know, get identified with the thinking and then, you know, you catch yourself and come back. That, this is just how it is for everybody like this. You know, you just have to do it long enough. You have to get fed up enough with it, you know. <laughs> I'm getting there for those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. I'd just like to add something that one thing I find helpful. So I just want to add a little bit. One thing I find helpful is, you know, what we tend to do is when we notice that we've been doing that and the mind's wandered off and, and um, you know, for the, however long it is, and then, and then we, we recognise it and then we're like, oh, God, what, there I go again, you know. We tend to then berate ourselves for, for the mind wandering. And then by doing that, if you think about you know, how one conditions the mind, you're, you're kind of telling yourself off every time you become mindful of what you're doing. Whereas I think it's much more useful if when you remember, when you recognise, oh, gosh, I've been completely lost in thought for the last however long, two hours, <laughs> then you say, and now I've noticed. Isn't that great? Here is mindfulness. It's back. Yeah. So you know, the Buddha says, like, even if a room is dark for a thousand years... As soon as you light a candle, all the light has disappeared. So it's the same with mindfulness. You might be lost in thoughts for, for ages, and then, and then you see what you're doing, and there's, there's the light of awareness, and it's right here. So if we put on top of that, oh, I'm such a bad meditator, then we've, we've, it's like we're putting a blanket over that light of awareness. So I think it's really important to encourage ourselves when, when we have those moments. Yeah. yeah. Hi. Um, I'm starting to notice that one of the greatest hindrances to awakening is the attachment that comes with awakening. The like, oh, really? the pride of, oh, look at me waking up and uh, <laughs> um, the that's all the like beating myself up for not being more aware more often. Like, and I was just wondering um, since you guys have been on the path um, in a very serious way. I was wondering what your experience with that has been. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you uh, say the last sentence again? Um, what your experience has been with um, the attachment to being spiritual, I guess, would be a way to say it. Um. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I can really relate to it because I, I, I started, you know, I, I went to live in the monastery when I was 24, and I started visiting when I was 22, and I was kind of young, you know, I was young, and, and people were like, oh, she's very young, and she's, she understands the Dharma. And I was very proud. I was, had quite a lot of pride and self-righteousness, a lot. <laughs> 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 and even I was trying very much, you know, I, I thought I was being humble, which was all part of the pride and self-righteousness, actually. You're so proud that you are so humble, isn't <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> she, she knew me then. <laughs> so, you know, I think... Um, well, first of all, you obviously recognise it in yourself, which is a good thing. And um, it, you can kind of smell it, you know, it's got a, it sort of smells a little bit off. So, <laughs> so when you recognise that, you try and, try and turn towards it and, and have a good look. Because what's underneath it is, is a vulnerable ego that, that's, you know, trying to use a spiritual awakening as, as to boost itself up, you know. 
And it is, you know, what I find is that life, if, if, one, if one has the core intention to wake up, then life is very um, creative in bringing, finding ways of waking you up. <laughs> so even you may, you may for some time be in that place and feel very proud and think you're, you know, way superior to everybody else because you've had these insights and so on. <clears throat> Sooner or later, you will be brought to your knees by life. <laughs> and probably not just once. If, yeah. if, you really, if you really want to wake up. And if you don't really want to wake up, then you might be able to just stay in that for all your life, which is kind of a shame. But if you really have a core intention to wake up, then you know, you'll, you'll, you'll meet people who will mirror you and, and situations will happen that will humble you. And, you know, and, the, and the things that you knew at one time will get so strongly challenged that you know, you'll only be able to find them really, really in the, in the absolute depths of your heart. And you can't always, you can't manifest those those qualities anymore for some time. You know those impressive spiritual qualities. And and but you're, if you if you're really practicing, then deep in your heart, that will have taken root. Those whatever you have actually understood will be will be there. So I can say that uh, there certainly have been some great challenges in my in my life as a nun over the last twenty years, let's say, and. There's been times when it's, it's, I've almost not been able to see, you know, what, what have I learnt in these years. And then there will always be something right, very strong and clear, in the, right in the heart, in the heart, which is not phased uh, by, by any challenges. So that's, that's what you can trust, you know. And when life comes and knocks you, you can welcome it, because it's, you know, it's, it's doing that so that you can gain a deeper... A deeper knowing. Yeah. Thank so you. bring it on. <laughs> I think the, the lady here in front is waiting for a long time already. Yeah? And then maybe also mentioning about divine pride, you know, mm-hmm. which is uh, especially in the Vajrayana tradition they speak about that. You know, embodying the deity because they have different visualization practices, you know, and they use a divine pride, which is not an ego pride, but just, the, you know, the pride of... Um, the opportunity we do have, you know, having met the teaching and having, you know, enough health and enough time and enough resources that we can access a teacher and a teaching and that we can practice and, you know, and, and really make much of that. You know, not beating yourself up on top of it when you watch your mind what you see, but, you know, you know, see... Yes, this is, I have this opportunity, you know, I have a certain amount of understanding. I can see what is happening and I, you know, I will keep going with this and I will go deeper and, and um, you know, uh, celebrate that. And I think this is what the notion of divine pride, you know, wants to communicate to us, you know, to not uh, see only you know, what a mess, you know, the, the mind is, but to also celebrate the fact, you know, that we have woken up to a certain extent and that we start to look and that we start to cultivate, you know, an ever deeper um, awareness. And, and that is something to celebrate and this is something to, you know, to be proud about, but not in, in a way of, of a proud ego, you know, which is better than anybody else, but we are all together in this, you know, and... and and we know it, at least to a certain extent, and that's wonderful. So there, there is a place, you know, for that celebration and, and um, feeling good about the practice, but not, you know, in a way that we are better than anybody else, but that we, are, that we have woken up to what's happening, and that's great. Yeah. Um, back to the question of suffering. Is it, um, and it feels like when there's a lot of suffering emotional, which then begins to begin in the body, like leading to depression, that kind of suffering, that one feels in relation to practice. If I could just not have the suffering, I don't care what happens. So that doesn't seem to me quite enough of a direction for practice. On the other hand, it often is, often is the uh, underlying feeling. And... 
you have said that um, suffering arises because we're not able to come into relationship with reality. And then there are the various um, ways that the Buddhists said that trying to get away from somebody that you don't like or want to be close to somebody you like, and then that extends to situations. And the number of other examples he gave, all arising from one thing, uh, which, as far as I understand, must be that you are reacting instead of just being with. So now, are these two ideas connected? Like the idea that the first is that we're we're suffering because we can't accept old age, sickness, and death. And then the second is that we're suffering because we're not able to be with what's happening in the moment. Is there anything more that you also could say about the relationship of suffering and how to use it in spiritual practice? I think, you know, what you said in the end, you know, saying that really the root of suffering is is not being fully with what is happening in the present moment. This is, you know, wanting something else. I think this is the main uh, thing to look at, you know, because whenever we are, whenever you are suffering, if you really look what is going on, it is, even if it is a pain in the body, which is, can be very painful, but we can suffer with that pain or we can, we can experience just the pain as it is, you know. This is the, there's one of the suttas where the Buddha speaks about, you know, the two errors. One, you know, one person being shot by an error and then uh, instead, you know, of having that, uh, what was, I've now forgot this example, how was that? Another body. <laughs> Do you remember being shot with an error, and then you know somebody yes, wants to remove. Yeah, somebody wants to remove the error f- uh, from because it was poisoned. You know, and that person says, you know, I first want to exactly know about who shot that error, what material, what is made from, what's the poison on it. I don't allow you to remove it before I have everything completely, you know, investigated and analyzed instead of. And then it's not enough time the the person dies. So, you know, the same with us. You know, instead of of wanting to, um, you know, constantly, you know, thinking about the past and thinking about the future, wanting to be in control, why don't we, uh, why are we not with what is happening now in the present moment fully and not thinking about the past, not thinking about the future, then you still might experience pain, you know, of being shot by an error or shot, you know, by whatever is happening in your life. But there's no need, you know, to analyze everything. But rather being fully with what is happening in the body and in the mind, this is the way out of suffering. And then through... You know, through training ourselves to in uh, in awareness, in mindfulness, then over time, you know, we have more and more stamina to fully be in the present moment, and then you know, life slowly starts to shift. Does that make sense to you? So that um, just looking at suffering and saying, now I can put this aside. Is this what you're suggesting? Yeah. I'll put this aside. I'll even put the idea that this is because I can't look at reality aside. I'll just put it aside, yeah. and it'll be a, a a doorway for me, or, or you know, a, a, a a strong push to simply come back to mindfulness of the present moment. Yeah, and, and to connect what is you know with the emotion which is going, you know, which is is rising and ceasing in your body and mind instead of thinking about you know why do I have this emotion and how this will this impact my life in the future and what happened in the past that this is like this and what can I do to not have this or what can I do to have more of that to put all of that aside for now and just be with the feeling and the sensations in the body you know and, and drop fully into that and then you know permeate that with awareness and through that it will transform you know it will it will slowly transform and it will open up you know this awareness is like a is a transforming agent basically you know 
completely permeate the experience in the present moment with awareness, now holding it fully in awareness. This is the medicine, you know. It's also worth mentioning, you know, that, that there's, in a way, there's kind of different kinds of suffering. So there's the, there's the, the fact that we experience pain. You know, when we're born, as we're being born, in fact, you know, when we're born, there is, we, we're born into these sensitive bodies, so we will feel physical pain. And we're, we're sensitive creatures, you know, we, we pick things up, we feel people's you know, vibrations or tone of voice or whatever it is, you know, we feel those things and, and then it has an effect on us, on our hearts. So, you know, this is, this is how it is to be human. It's, we're very sensitive beings, you know, that's, that's how it is. And so there's that. And, just, and, and also we, we get thirsty, we get hungry, we get too hot, we get too cold. You know, we, we, we need shelter, we need certain safety and so on. And that's how it is to be human. So it's knowing that, that it, like when we have the reflection on old age, sickness and death, you know, this is about acknowledging that this is what it is to be human. It, 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 there, are these, there are these conditions and, and we do feel physical pain. We're not going to be healthy forever and then just either live forever or just drop, disappear into a heavenly realm or something, you know. There's usually some, a bit of pain in the process. <laughs> And that's how it is. So that's, but then there's the, there's the physical pain, which is a sensation in the body. It's a feeling in the body. And then there's what we do with that, which is, oh, my God, I'm feeling pain. <gasps> maybe this, maybe that. And, oh, it really shouldn't be, and I've got to do something, and I must be practicing wrong, because if I was practicing right, I wouldn't be feeling any pain now. That's adding suffering to, to suffering. Or if we feel a painful feeling in the heart, and then we say, oh, it's it's, it's his fault because he said that and if he hadn't done that and if they hadn't have if my parents had just been different you know that's adding suffering onto suffering but, but what the Buddha is asking us to do is to come to the ex- the actual experience and just be with that without adding anything extra on top and just being with that and noticing if we stay with it if we're really present really really present with it then we can feel it's constantly changing it's a vibration pain is a vibration in the body and emotional pain is a vibration in the heart, and it's constantly changing, and at some point it completely changes and shifts into something else. Mm. So, so that's the, the kind of, you know, it's, it's coming back to the direct experience rather than adding on top. That's really... And I think also, you know, the whole practice is, is, is not to kind of... Sh- and I know this is very difficult to accept, but, you know, it, it's basically, it's not about what we are experiencing, but it's how we are with the experience, you know. This is where the cultivation can come in because we don't have any control what is happening next. We don't know. But how we experience what is happening, this is where, where the practice comes in, you know. Because it might be, you know, you go out and uh, fall over the stairs and break your leg, but it might go, you go out and, uh, you know, some wonderful experience is happening, we don't know what's going to happen next, but we can cultivate how we meet the experience. And then, you know, we are not so dependent anymore on what's, what is happening because we have, we have wisdom. And if there's wisdom, then there's also compassion at the same time. So it, our life quality will, will increase and, you know, everybody around us will benefit from that. So you can use mindfulness, and as you say, deeply penetrating yes. on the heart yes. or the body, yes. and at the same time using the breath to help you relax and do that. Yeah, the breath is, is a way, you know, to anchor ourselves in the present moment, you know. It's like a meditation object, so because the mind tends, you know, tends to... As we said before, it tends to think about this and think about that. And in order for the mind to stay in the present moment, we give it an object, you know, the body or the breath or a mantra. Or there's many different ways, you know. And that helps. It's like if you have a little child, you know, which is all over the house looking in every cupboard, you give it a toy, 
And then it's gonna, if it's a good toy, it's gonna stay with the toy for some time, and it stays out of the cupboard. This is what we do with the mind, you know. We give it the toy of the breath or the toy of the body just to hold on to, so it doesn't go into all cupboards thinking about the past and about the future. <laughs> Only you know we have, we can't change the toy every moment because we just have to stay with the. But we are already adults, so I, I think you know we can, we we. We expect of you to be able to stay for 40 minutes with one toy. <laughs> okay, I? I think I think we've come to the end of the oh, q yes? now. Yeah. Does that you, answer your yeah. question yeah. a bit? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, not expecting that then immediately when you do that <laughs> meditation, that your life immediately will change like a miracle. You know, it's not going to be like that. Most likely, you know, it's it's the repetition of it and. And, you know, keep on going with it. And it's changes. We can see them over longer, you know, time spans. Looking back over a few years, I can see changes. Looking back over just two, three weeks, I can see nothing, you know. So don't do, don't do it like <laughs> that, you know. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate.